from KDNK Community Access Radio in Carbondale, Colorado. This is program number four of the Tactile Traveler, empowering blind and low vision people to explore the world and helping our sighted friends see the world in a new way. I'm Nick Eisenberg. When blind people go places, we don't experience things like our sighted friends. We don't see beautiful mountains or romantic sunsets. The goal of this program is to identify and even create experiences that are more meaningful or just more fun for us and our sighted traveling companions. Frequently, as people lose their eyesight, they become more and more isolated. The Tactile Traveler hopes to empower people not only to go literally around the world, but around the block to new adventures in their life. Blind ranges from people who are visually impaired and contact lenses and glasses no longer help them live a normal life to people like me who are totally blind and sighted parents who have blind children to blind parents who have sighted children and people of all ages, interests, and physical abilities. On today's program, we'll learn about blind people who see things that aren't there. Get tips for our sighted friends on how to better guide us. How to make dining in restaurants more fun. What to do when your GPS lies and go for a ride on the Amtrak California Zephyr. In 1851, Swiss scientist Charles Bonnet's grandfather was going blind from cataracts, and his grandfather told him that he was seeing things he knew really weren't there. What his grandfather was going through is now called Charles Bonnet syndrome. It's when perfectly sane people who are losing their vision or have lost their vision see things that aren't there. They can be geometric patterns, people with frequently distorted faces, and animals or creatures they have never seen in real life. Charles Binet syndrome can be a part of going blind or losing some of your vision. But since people aren't told that it could be a normal part of losing their vision by their eye doctors, they may think they're losing their minds and afraid to tell people. It is of huge reassurance when people discover that this is not a mental health issue and that, you see, we think that in the UK alone, there are probably a million people who live with CBS. Now, goodness only knows how many there are in your country. Judith Potts spoke to us from London. She started Esma's Umbrella after her mother started seeing things that didn't make sense. My mother, whose name was Esme, was in her early 90s. She had glaucoma and I suspect her sight was a lot worse than she was letting on. But she lived a totally independent life um, she loved cooking, she was doing cryptic crosswords in the newspaper every day, and then one day she said to me, I do wish these people would get off my sofa. And I said, but there's nobody on your sofa. But before I could say anything else, she said, well, it's not just these people, but there's a child dressed in Victorian clothes who looks like a 
uh, a sad street child with a tear-stained face who follows me everywhere, and a gargoyle-like horrible face which seems to jump from table to chair. And sometimes the whole room or the whole garden, if she was outside, changed into somewhere completely different. Once she found herself in the middle of an Edwardian funeral. Of course, the first word that sprang to both our minds was dementia. But then I thought, well, it can't be that because she can do these cryptic crosswords, which is certainly more than I can do. That afternoon, Judith really locked out. Or more accurately, we all locked out. She happened to see one paragraph in a newspaper story about blind people seeing things that weren't there. After lots and lots of phone calls and hard work, she got things rolling for blind people who were seeing things. She found the only doctor in the world doing Charles Binet syndrome research and is helping to expand that research. She helped start the Charles Binet syndrome support line and support groups. She was also part of the effort to get Charles Binet syndrome is a recognized diagnosis by the World Health Organization. There's also a Charles Binet syndrome foundation in Melbourne, Australia, which, like Esme's umbrella, has support groups you can go to if you're at the right place at the right time. And there's a Charles Binet Syndrome Society in Trinidad, Tobago. And they'll be the first ever Charles Binet Syndrome Conference in Louisville, Kentucky this summer. We'll have more information on future programs. You're listening to The Tactile Traveler on KDNK Community Access Radio. Empowering blind and low-vision people to explore the world and helping our sighted friends see the world in a new way. I'm Nick Eisenberg. There are very few travel agents or travel packagers in the world who specialize in packages for blind or visually impaired folks. Jason Struther reports on one of the most creative ones. It's called Travelize International, and it's based in Leeds, England. The company has a unique business plan. They provide tours and cruises for blind or visually impaired travelers at competitive rates. But our fellow sighted travelers can join at up to a 50% discount. That's because they act as guides for us. Each sighted person is matched up with a visually impaired one, and partners switch every day. But how does a sighted traveler learn how to be a good guide for a visually impaired traveler? Well, Travelize International's founder, Amar Latif, uploaded this instructional video. It's found on the company's website. He gave us permission to edit it down for radio. When you can't see, it's hard to recognize unfamiliar voices, so remember to say your name. So how does this whole guiding thing work? It's easy, just ask your partner. Okay, so Amma, how do you like to be guided? I'll take the back of your right arm, please. My right arm. Perfect, like that way I'm a step behind you. Everyone's different. Some blind people might prefer to put a hand on your shoulder, or if they have more sight, they may just walk beside you. So what do you do when it gets a bit tight for space? Oh no, we're coming to a narrow bit here. Okay, the best thing to do is if you drop your arm behind you and when we get there and then I follow in behind you. Like that. Always let the person you're guiding know 
when the narrow space is passed by bringing your arm back to your side. So how do you tackle those pesky stairs? Remember to say if they're going up or going down. You know, sometimes um, people think that they should count the number of steps, but I've just had so many situations where they always get it wrong. <laughs> so we don't want any disasters, do we? So the best thing to do is just let me know when we get to the um, last step. And always offer a handrail if there is one. You can take your partner's hand and place it on the rail. And don't forget to tell your partner to duck. Sometimes people are too busy looking at the ground and they forget to check for low-hanging obstacles. When you're out and about, it's great to know what's around you. Some simple descriptions can help bring everything to life. This is nice, oh, isn't it? Oh, Amma, there's a beautiful ruined abbey in front of us. What's it like? Um, it's faded stone, um, it's got tumble-down walls, and lots of arches. Wow, and uh, how big is it? Wow, I'd say the, um, where the roof is, it goes up to probably about five storeys. Right. But the tower is about seven storeys high. Oh, there's a tower. There's a tower, yeah. Actually, do you mind taking my hand and drawing the outline? Oh, great idea. It kind of just yes. gives me a little idea, Liz. Yeah, That'd be so great. here's the tumble down wall. Okay. With the arches. Yeah. And here's the tower. Ah, goes like that. Yeah, there's the rooftop. And then that's back down to the ground. Ah, and is there any windows? <laughs> no, they're long gone. <laughs> <laughs> but it's bathed in beautiful sunlight. Oh, that sounds great. But don't worry, it's just like having a conversation. If you can't see, even a few simple descriptions can make a world of difference. People can be concerned about coming across patronising, but I say just by being aware of this means you'll naturally get the balance spot on. So, anybody fancy a bit of lunch? Um, this is our table. Okay, uh, the best thing to probably do is put my hand at the back of the chair. Okay, so that's your chair. Oh, fantastic. And then I've, um, I've sat in a few chairs in my time. You, you know how they work. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's a huge menu, Amar. Is it? Yeah. <laughs> the best thing to probably do is read the different sections then. Okay, um, we've got pizza, uh, Mexican, we've got pasta, we've got salads. Actually, um, salads is what I'm interested in. Yeah. And anything with chicken? Uh, yeah, they've got chicken and avocado salad. Perfect. And when the food arrives, you can ask your partner if they'd like to know where things are on the plate using the clock face method. Chicken's at six o'clock. With hotels. Okay, we're coming up to the door, Emma. Okay, so just let me know if it's opening towards me or away from me. Okay. And whether the hinges are on the left or the right. Okay, um, okay. so the door swings away from you and okay. the hinges are on the right hand side. Super, so if you want to head through okay. and I'll follow your lead. Right. It's yeah. great to know where things are, so ask your partner what they'd like to know. Fantastic, so Andrew, what would be really helpful is just a little orientation, just let me know example where the towels are, bedside table, okay. power sockets right. and air conditioning. And in the bathroom, it's helpful to know which is the shower gel and which is the shampoo and also how the shower works. Looks like your chariot's arrived, I'm off. Oh, great. Hello, driver. Just place my hand on the door handle. Let me know whether it's left or right and obviously whether it's the front door or the back door. If that seems like a lot of things to remember, Trust me, it soon becomes second nature. Remember, the golden rule is communication. Because everybody's different, it's always best to ask. Thank you, Jason and Travel Eyes International. 
Eating in a restaurant can be a bit of an extra challenge if you're blind or low vision. Lydia Eckert has some tips that might make it easier. Two of them can also be used at home. Make sure your server knows you're blind in case you need special help, like reading the menu and knowing where the food is. When you're pouring things like salad dressing, mustard, and ketchup, like on hamburgers and french fries, pour it over one of your fingers to see how much you use when you're looking for things like water and wine glasses. Put your arms out in front of you on these sides where your food is and slowly bring your hands together. Then you feel the glasses without knocking them over or knocking them off the table. Thank you, Lydia. You're listening to the Tactile Traveler from KDNK in Carbondale, Colorado. Empowering blind and low vision people to explore the world and helping our sighted friends see the world in a new way. I'm Nick Eisenberg. I used to be a student at the Colorado Center for the Blind in Littleton, Colorado. It's a residential program, and all of the students live in the McGeorge Mountain Terrace Apartments, a few miles from the center. And we all had the same problem over and over again. When people tried to drive us to our apartments using their GPS, we'd almost always end up at the wrong apartment complex. It didn't seem to matter how many times we'd tell them where to go. They'd still get lost. Since we couldn't see where our drivers were going, we couldn't give them accurate directions because we wouldn't know they went the wrong way. And it seems like telling folks like taxi drivers, Uber drivers, Lyft drivers, and paratransit drivers, and even family and friends where they should turn, frequently didn't help. Suzanne Paul, who was sighted, helped me with the story. And even though I told her three times how to get to the right apartment complex, just like everyone else using a GPS, she went to the wrong one. No, I absolutely missed it, despite the fact that you told me where to go, because I think it, it put me on the other side of the street. I couldn't even find the apartment complex. I figured out a way to solve the problem. You have a sighted friend take a picture of the intersection where people get lost and then draw arrows on the picture showing them the correct way to go. A very sharp associate in an Office Max print shop improved it even more. He added to the picture, turn left, do not go straight, and we duplicated the pictures into sizes that would easily fit in purses and backpacks and laminated them and handed them out to students at the Colorado Center for the Blind. I have the same problem with folks driving me to an apartment house I frequently go to. So Suzanne did the same thing showing how to get to that apartment house. I was so excited the first time I tried it. I handed the picture to my taxi driver and said, Follow these arrows when you turn off Wadsworth Boulevard. It works so well, it was boring. He just took me to the right place immediately, and so has every driver since. If you are sighted and people who are coming to your house get lost trying to find it, you can take a picture of where they get lost. Draw arrows on the correct way to go, 
put a sign that says, do not go here on the wrong way, email the pictures to your friends, relatives, delivery people, and folks like plumbers and electricians, so they won't get lost coming to your house. Thank you, Suzanne. Ed Cohn, who is visually impaired, invented the easy-to-see weekly calendar. He likes to travel when he isn't working on his calendar, and along the way he finds an occasional problem. Cobblestone streets. Well, cobblestones are round rocks, mostly, that are placed side by side and were an ancient way uh, for paving roads. And it must have been terrible to be riding in a cart with wooden wheels on them. But uh, they did get you out of the mud, so that was a, an improvement. It was a real improvement for wagons and now cars, but it's a real challenge for those of us who use white canes. If we step the wrong way, we can fall on our faces. Jose de Leon is a tech teacher at the Lighthouse for the Blind and Visually Impaired in Miami. He grew up in Guatemala, where he had quite a bit of experience negotiating cobblestone streets. He has some tips, including what kind of tips to use on your white cane. So I used uh, a white cane with a uh, roller tip. Would say, first of all, I, I tend to walk a little slower when I'm walking in that kind of surface. And I would say that I would hold my weight in the back of my uh, of my feet. Maurice Perrin was a national certifier and helped develop White Cane Instruction Certification. Now he's coordinator of Veterans Career Programs for the National Federation of the Blind. It's important how much information you want. Depending on the technique that one would use, it could be really overwhelming the kind of feedback that you would get. If you use a constant contact technique, for example, it's going to be very bumpy and the cane's going to get stuck probably a lot. So I tend to use a very, very light touch so that there is a very slight contact with the ground. So it's a touch and slide. How one walks is, is pretty important. Rolling technique or, or heel-toe is important in making sure that your feet are you know, touching ground where your cane has not already been. A lot of people prefer the, the rollerball tips. It allows for constant contact, a little less friction. Uh, they tend to be designed for canes that are a bit heavier, uh, so lifting the cane up can be a little cumbersome and intensive on the wrist. It really is a matter of personal preference. Marie says, if possible, plan ahead. So allow yourself plenty of exploratory time when you don't have a, a, a time crunch or a, or a, a timeline to meet uh, so that you can experiment with different techniques, different cane tips that you might find helpful and enjoyable. But the most important thing is, is to go. Don't avoid areas because of those kinds of concerns. If you have travel troubles, like using white canes on cobblestone streets, let us know and we'll try and find travel solutions. Thank you, Phyllis. One of our regular features is evaluating different modes of transportation and their advantages and disadvantages for us. Today, we're going to look at the Amtrak California Zephyr. It's one of Amtrak's longest trains. 
It goes from Chicago to Emeryville, California, which is a suburb of San Francisco. During its three-day and night trip, it stops at Lincoln and Omaha, Nebraska, Denver, Colorado, Salt Lake City, Utah, and Sacramento, California, and many small and smaller cities along the way. One of those cities is Glenwood Springs, Colorado, where I live. The most popular segment of the trip is from Denver to Glenwood Springs, where it goes through the spectacular Glenwood Canyon along the upper Colorado River and through beautiful mountain passes where it's difficult to get to by car. Assistant Conductor Nick Ploiza says one of the things our sighted friends will remember is the scenery they didn't expect to see. You know, I don't know where that tradition started. Yeah, on the Colorado River, they like to moon us. And I don't know, like I said, I don't know when it started, but if it's a nice day out and the train goes by, they, they like to moon us. So everybody kind of laughs and they uh, named it the Moon River, uh, nicknamed it the Moon River. So, How many times on a, on a trip from Denver, Glenwood Springs to Denver? Oh, dozens, depending on the day. Passenger Linda Hayes. Yes, we certainly did get mooned. <laughs> How do you feel about that? Oh, it, I guess it's kind of funny. It's certainly not something I would do, but, <laughs> you know, young kids are young kids. <laughs> Even though we'd never see folks we'd never recognize if we met later, we will see Amtrak employees that are really there for us when we can use some assistance. From helping us check our luggage to making sure we get on the right car on the right train. And at the other end, having someone meet us at our train car door and walk or drive us to where we need to go in the train station, assistant conductor Nick Ploiza says they'll even help you walk your guide dog at scheduled stops. So like Frasier, we would, you know, if the, if, the, if the service animal would need off the train, the person with the dog could walk them or, or whatever it, they needed to do for, for that animal, so... Either the coach attendant or the sleeper attendant if they're in the sleeper or the conductor. We'll make sure they get back on the train. They'll even hold the train until your dog is done. That's one of the things that makes Amtrak very different from buses and trains. And Amtrak may be much cheaper than traveling by Greyhound and much more pleasant. There's also a big problem riding the Zephyr. It's frequently late, very late. Frequently an hour or two, and occasionally more than eight hours. So you should plan the rest of your schedule accordingly. For example, when I use the Zephyr to go to Denver and Philadelphia for eye surgery, I always plan my schedule to arrive two days before important appointments. That way, even if the train was very late, I would get to my destination the day before my important appointments. So it's important to call Amtrak and check on your train status starting the day before your trip. So if I know my train's going to be late going to Denver, I will still have time to cancel my ticket and go by bus. However, in the winter, Amtrak is still usually more dependable than driving or taking a bus to Denver during bad weather. That's because I-70 frequently closes for hours at a time. 
going through the Colorado mountains because of accidents and jackknife 18-wheelers when drivers fail to put on chains. I've been stuck in closed airports and delayed or even stopped trains, and I'd much rather be on a train. You have a comfortable seat, food available, and Amtrak employees helping you figure out how you can reach your destination on time. You need reservations for tickets on the Zephyr. When you buy those tickets will determine how much they cost. So make reservations early to get the best price. But even if you don't have one of the cheapest seats, keep trying. Because if someone cancels a lower price seat, you can exchange your ticket for the lower price seat. This is the Tactile Traveler on KDNK. I'm Nick Eisenberg. Why, it's my talking scale, reminding us that we'd like you to weigh in on how we're doing. Please let us know by sending an email to the tactile traveler at gmail.com. We'd also like to hear your story ideas from all over the world. If you'd like to help underwrite the program, please send us an email with underwriting in the subject line. The program is also being broadcast on the Audio Information Network of Colorado and in additional states. It's also available by typing the Tactile Traveler into any search engine and available wherever you get your podcasts. We'd like to thank the following people who helped make today's program possible. Microsoft Disability Tech Support, Wayne Marshall, John Gorman, Marilyn Gleason, Brett Boyer, Sophia Williams, Debbie O'Leary, Lucas Turner, and Raleigh Burley. This has been the Tactile Traveler, empowering blind and low vision people to explore the world and helping our sighted friends see the world in a new way. I'm Nick Eisenberg. This has been a production of KDNK Community Access Radio, Carbondale, Colorado.